Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Enjoy week four of Empires Volume 3 as Kenosha City Church's family pastor, Will Harold, looks at why words are required when sharing the gospel. Enjoy the message. Well, it's official. I am officially a girl dad. Because, thank you, thank you. No, she's, she's wonderful, that two-year-old. But because I'm going to be using a Moana illustration this morning. So uh, bear with me for all of the uh, uh, Moana fans in the house represent, for sure. You know, um, one of the things as I'm, as I'm watching Moana with, with my daughter, with my kids, uh, I can really appreciate a young teenage girl who decides to go and confront the rock. I mean, if it were me, if it were me, I'd see him hanging out over there and I'd be like, what should I say? What, what, should, what should I, should I ask him for a picture? You know, should I take a selfie? Like, I would be intimidated, but not her. She jumped on her boat, and for miles and miles, she traveled across the sea knowing that she was, in fact, going to go one-on-one with the Great One, and she was going to deliver her message to him. And her message was simple, wasn't it? Her message was simple, it was clear, and uh, she definitely let him know it. She was going to sail across the sea. He was going to, you know, she was going to have him jump on her boat, and he was going to go all the way to the other side of the world and deliver the rock to the lava monster, right? That was, that was the whole movie. So, but like Moana, sure her mission was hard, sure she felt unqualified, but in the end she had to bring this message to the rock so that they could bring life back to the world that was dying around them. And so much like Moana, we have a very similar mission. We have a mission that's hard. We have a mission that you and I might feel unqualified to achieve. And you and I have a message that must be delivered to a world that is dying around us. And ultimately, it's only in this mission that as believers, we can step up, take the call, and respond and say, Yes, Lord, I will go. Our main point this morning is this. Your faith begins and ends with the gospel. But in order to understand the call, in order to understand the mission, in order to understand what we're called to do as believers, you have to understand what ultimately our faith is. What is this thing that we call Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? What is our faith ultimately about? And and sometimes we have, we have, we we, we don't really have a good answer for that. Sometimes when we're talking to our our coworkers, our friends, our family, we don't really know how how to tangibly give them an answer that they can do something with. You know, we'll say something like, oh, you know, it's about following God. Or you just got to, you know, you got to trust God and, 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 you know, figure everything else out. But I think, I think our faith, especially in today's day and age, demands a better response. Ultimately, we, we need to be able to point people to the very hope that we have in a way that's clear to them and doesn't use language that confuses them. And I love the way that Greg Kokel defines it. He defines it as faith to a non-believer is really just describing the way that the world is. It's describing reality. It's characterizing the way that the, that the whole of, of, of creation actually functions. And, and when, you rub, when you rub shoulders with people at, at work, when you rub shoulders with people who don't know who God is, oftentimes you'll hear quotes like one from someone named Karl Marx who says, religion is just an opiate for the masses. Essentially, just a way for uh, people to lean on, something to lean on and make you feel better. And if we're not clear 
with what our faith actually is. If we don't have an actual answer and an actual response to those, you know, arguments, then how can we share the hope that we have in Jesus? How can we hope to represent this faith that we all come here to acknowledge, that we all come here to, to rally around if we can't actually answer people's questions? And, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to just start by saying the more that you unpack the reality around you, the more that you unpack the story that we're all a part of, the better you will be able to answer those questions when they come. Because ultimately, your faith begins and ends with the gospel. So we're going to be zeroing in on Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there with us today. Um, and we're really going to be focusing on the mission that Jesus gave us, the mission that he's called us all to, and why it's so important to have those answers for when they are asked. You know, I think it's really easy uh, for a lot of people to look at Christianity and define it as like a self-help club or, you know, it's just a social service or it's just a good way, you know, to, to, to get your feel-goods on Sunday morning. Um, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity isn't just a charity. Christianity isn't a political organization. Christianity is not a self-help club. Christianity is about the mission of Jesus. Christianity is about understanding who God is, what he's called us to do, and how he's orchestrated this world that we're living in. And when your faith becomes about anything other than the mission that God has called you to do, then you've drifted from your assignment, right? To use a military term, you're not following the orders of your commanding officer, right? So we're not to deviate. We're to keep our eyes focused on the main goal, and we're, we're going to look at that message today. We're going to unpack it. We're going to make sure that everybody in this room understands it so that you can be ready to deliver it to the world around you because your faith will begin and end with the gospel. So Romans 10, 14. How can they call on him that they have not believed? How can they believe without hearing him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? Now, as we read this couple verses, you might be like me and you might notice that they use the word they six times. And so you might be asking, what is this, Abbott and Costello? What, who is they? Who are they talking about? And that they is talked about in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if this message is for everyone, then this message is for everyone. That includes you, that includes people that annoy you, that includes people you don't necessarily like or get along with. That includes everyone because everyone means everyone. So in order to take this message to everyone, we've got to be a little bit like Moana, don't we? It's got to be simple. It's got to be clear. It's got to be understandable. And you're going to have to know your stuff. As Alan Schliemann says, the more you sweat and practice, the less you'll bleed in battle. So you've got to understand the message that you've been called to carry to the world and you've got to have real, tangible answers for people who don't know God. You must be ready to share the hope that you have with the entire world because your faith begins and ends with the gospel. You need to know that the gospel is not just fiction. It's not just someone's version of the events that happened. You need to understand that the gospel, that the message of the Bible, that the story of creation, fall, and redemption ultimately paints this picture, this holistic understanding of how God set this world up to be. It's not just my truth. It's not just your truth. It's the truth that we are to carry to a lost world. 
It's not your version of events. It's not their version of events. It's not some twisted historical uh, painting of reality. No. In fact, uh, it's not something that makes you feel good, which, which kind of, I, I kind of think about it, and it's like, when people say, oh yeah, the Bible's just a, uh, something you go to the church and you eat your donuts and you feel good on Sunday, it's like, really? Monday through Saturday, when I'm reading my Bible, and, and, and it's almost like God's word is reading my heart, I realize it doesn't necessarily feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good to be confronted with biblical truth. It doesn't feel good when I'm coming face to face with my selfishness, with my anger, with my, with my you know, judgmentalism of, of, of reading into situations that are false just because I'm all stirred up and stressed out. It's hard. It's hard. And ultimately, Christianity, following Jesus, is going to come with a cost, isn't it? It's going to cost you something. You know, you think about what it means when you're in high school. The things that you, you valued the most, your popularity, you know, you having, the, having everything look good on the outside. Uh, uh, it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you security. It's going to cost you comfort. Because ultimately, the message of the gospel is countercultural. And, and we're called as Christians to give up some things that we love for the one that we love even more. And the message that we're called to deliver is ultimately about one person. Because here's the, here's the fact of reality. The story that we're all in, this creation that God has made, this story of creation, fall, redemption that, that, that transcends history and goes into the future. We just got done studying Revelation. It was awesome. But there's only one main character in this story. And guess what? It's not you. It's not me. The main character is God the Father. This story is about him. And so, so we, get this, we get this mixed up when we, when we have this distorted understanding of what the story is ultimately about. When we make it about us, when we make it the way, about the way that we feel, it becomes something different than the story of God creating this whole world for us to be in relationship with us. And, and when you look at the Old Testament, right? You see the Old Testament prophets, you see John the Baptist, you see Jesus, you see all of these characters in the Bible trying to point us back to our Father, to God's appropriate rulership over the entire world, right? That is the story of reality. And in order to be a Christian, in order to call yourself a follower of Christ, you have to put yourself underneath God's appropriate rulership. And in today's day and age, that's hard. That's hard. That's countercultural. It goes against one of our culture's main tenets, doesn't it? Because there's many people that are going to decide that Christianity is not for them because nowadays our culture is all about expressive individualism. I'm in charge. I'm the captain of my own ship. I, you know, YOLO, FOMO, Carpe Diem, seize the day. You hear all these things about how I need to, I need to get mine today and whatever I think is reality, but that's not true. That's not true. Reality is the way that God established it. And if we're not going to be okay with submitting to God's word and, and, and coming underneath his appropriate rulership, then, then when you confront people in, in the world, when, when you try and teach them the message of the gospel, the truth of who he really is, how is it going to come across? It's going to come across oppressive. Your kids know this, right? When we're at Revolution, we're talking to the teenagers. They know that they're ultimately going to be punished. They're going to be rejected by their friends. It's not going to feel good telling kids that they need Jesus, that they're lacking something in the world, because, you know, they're not tolerating other people's ideas. They're not celebrating other people's values. They're not allowing people to express themselves in their individuality. But ultimately, I don't make the rules, and ultimately, we don't either. 
And ultimately, we need to tell people about the love of our awesome Heavenly Father. And that is the person that we are telling this story about. You know, when I was little, and maybe some of you here will be familiar with this story, it was all about me. It's not fair. But, 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 mommy, 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 I should have done this. I want to do that. And I learned a very valuable lesson at the age of four or five that maybe many of you learned as well. My mom picked me up, you know, she'd hold me by the collar, she'd look me straight in the eye, and she'd say, William, the world does not revolve around you. Right? And parents are laughing because you probably said that to your kids today, yesterday, last week, whatever, right? Like, it's true. Our kids, our kids are so, like, they call it egocentrism. It's all about them. But even as adults, we make it all about us. Even as adults, we, un- we fail to understand our proper place in the kingdom of God. The world does not revolve around us. And you need to answer this question today. The question is simple. Who is in charge? Who is ultimately in charge? Is it the creator? Is it the creation? Is it the artist? Is it the canvas? Is it the potter? Is it the clay? Who's in charge? It's very important that you get that answer right because we can talk about the gospel all we want. We can talk about what the letter of the law says. But if, 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 we, if, we, if we put ourselves ahead of God, if we put our preferences ahead of God, if we start reading into things that aren't right, we're not coming under his authority. We're not allowing him to lead. And he is the captain of the ship, not us. Not us. See, in Paul's days, the Jewish, the Jewish believers missed this. They missed it. They were so close to the story of God. It was literally being lived out right in front of them. Jesus was walking amongst them. And God had established his kingdom with them by covenant. He promised that he was, they were going to be his people. But they missed the bus. They missed the bus. They missed the ministry of Jesus. They decided to place their preferences above God. Turn to verse 18 to 21. You'll see Paul ask some rhetorical questions here. Did they not hear? Did they not understand? The, ob- the obvious answer is yes, they must have. They had the scriptures. They, they had the temple. They had the religious system all built up to glorify Yahweh, our Heavenly Father that we're here to worship today. It was all established for him. But they got blinded by their tradition. They got blinded by the status quo. They got blinded by the structures and systems that they had built for themselves. They, though they knew a ton about God, they ultimately missed the bus. And I pray that this church would never be in that boat. That it would never be about our traditions. It would never be about the status quo. It would never be about the community that we have here because everything, while those things might be good, it's all needs to be subservient to being obedient to the one who's called us to go. Because if you look at the end, of this, at the end you're going to notice that the Israelites eventually stood defiant and disobedient in the face of God's mission, didn't they? It was not a failure of God's word when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They had the gospel preached to them in their day. They had the Son of God walking and teaching and living and serving amongst them. Because the conditions of salvation were being met before their eyes. The conditions for finding salvation were going to be fulfilled once and for all by Jesus on the cross. But the fault lies in Israel for refusing to be obedient and refusing to be subservient in the kingdom of God. So look at verse 19 to 20. Did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation who lacks understanding. 
And Isaiah says boldly, uh, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. And like I said before, the Israelites had the scripture, they had the prophecies, but the gospel will go and the gospel will move with the movers. And that's what we need to learn from these Israelites. That's what we need to learn from Paul in this letter of Romans, is that faith truly must begin and end with the gospel. That our faith needs to be shared. Our mission is to bring hope to a dying world around us. And if it's not going to be us, it's going to be somebody else. And, and I pray that that's not us. Look, what were the Israelites? Any, uh, any, any swimming fans in here? Anybody, anybody take their kids to the pool? Uh, I was swimming with a couple friends a couple weeks back, and we, we had this beach ball, okay? And, and my four-year-old, he was just dying. He has the best belly laugh ever. But he was dying laughing as I would take this beach ball, and I would hide it and sit on top of it underwater. And I'd say, where'd the beach ball go? And he'd be like, I don't know, Daddy. And then I'd just slightly move, and it would pop right out of the water, right? The beach ball, you can't hold it underwater forever, right? You can't keep it submerged. But that's what the Israelites were trying to do with the truth, they were trying to submerge it. They were trying to press it down. They were trying to have it be their own way. But you can't do that with God. Because every single time you're trying to suppress the truth, every single time you're trying to run from the things that are hard, God's going to find a way to make it revealed to this world. And I want that to be done here. I want to be used. I want to go out into this world and make a difference for his kingdom. So don't submerge it, because the, the beach ball is not going to stay underwater. And remember, if you, think that's, if you think that we're just talking about the Israelites, just understand, I'm not here to point fingers at people. I, I believe that this, this um, uh, temptation to kind of suppress it and kind of be a little bit inward is, is, is clearly illustrated in Matthew 17. Jesus leaves Peter, James, and John up a mountain. Okay, he performs a miracle. He gets transfigured. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, they're sitting there, and Moses and Elijah come out of the cloud. And, and, and what is Peter's response? Peter's response is, oh my goodness, we're on top of a mountain with Jesus and some of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. Let's build a base camp. Let's have a Bible study. Let's have the best city group ever with the authors of Scripture. What does Jesus say? He says, no, we can't stay here. We've got a message that's got to be taken down from this mountain. We've got a message that's got to go to the ends of the earth. We can't stay here in our little holy huddle. We've got to go and bring life to the world around us. So don't be like Peter. Don't be so tempted to fill your head with head knowledge that your heart becomes hardened towards the lost. We need to, yes, we need to hold truth in the palm of our hands, and, and that, that should not change. But we also need to be graceful and loving and, and, and willing to, to seek and save those who don't know God. So don't be uh, deceived by thinking that your faith is all about finding your community, because it's not. Because in verse 21, in the end of this section that we're covering this morning, Paul writes, to Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. Your faith begins and ends with the gospel. And I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to submit to God's authority? It's a really hard question. I've been sitting up, staying up late every single night this week, asking myself the same thing. Am I willing to do whatever God's word says. Am I going to be Kenosha City Church, our number one core value? Am I going to take God at his word? And if the answer is yes, then you know your marching orders. You know your mission. And it's not going to be easy because we're in the middle of a battle. Spiritual warfare is all around us. Uh, this isn't just debate club. 
This isn't just, you know, political differences. This is spiritual warfare from an enemy who hates the mission that God's called us to achieve. Every day, the warfare is being conducted by the one who opposes God. And we are the ones that are to be the messengers, that are to be on the front lines of the battle every single day, standing, standing up for what's right and standing up for the truth and pointing people back to the one who loves them. That's the Great Commission that Jesus has called us to fulfill. And that's the message and the mission that, God, that Paul is asking us to fulfill today. And in verse, in verse 15, you can be reassured. Because Paul quotes the Old Testament here and he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, it was interesting. As you, as you unpack some of these scripture references, um, you, you, you come across some uh, linguistic differences because I, I found in the version I was reading, Isaiah 52.7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who proclaims peace, who brings good news, who brings news of good things, and who proclaims salvation. But you'll notice it, 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 when you like focus in on, on Romans 10.15, this is so cool, uh, Paul actually changes that, that, uh, that quote from Isaiah slightly. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those. I don't know how, how, how much more abundantly clear it can be made because the messenger has already come in the form of Jesus, hasn't he? And guess who the those are? That's us. That's all the, all the Christians of all time who, who are called to bring good news. So your faith begins and ends with the gospel. And, and as we talk about beautiful feet, you know, I know it's a kind of a weird image, but uh, I, I, got, I got a story here of, of um, beautiful feet aren't, soft, manicured, you know, colorfully painted, well-kept feet. No, no, no. They're dirty, worn, battle-hardened, and scarred from many deployments in the field. I bet if you, I bet if, you know, if any of you have relatives that were in the military, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to just know what was life like before, what was life like, life like after, because I know you come back with battle scars when you're on a deployment. And those beautiful feet in our community, in this city of Kenosha, look like many shared meals, many late-night conversations, many prayers, many cups of coffee, all about relational ministry with people that we love and care about, that we want to know the King. Messengers of the gospel are beautiful in the sight of God because of their service to him. There was a guy, Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary from Massachusetts in 1813. He answered the call to be a missionary to a little, a little place in India called Burma. And uh, uh, it was a hostile and unreached place. Uh, other missionaries told him not to go because many had gone and never returned. Many had gone and were killed in the field. I, I'd probably consider it a closed country today. Uh, they were led by an overbearing king. There was war. There was enemy raids. There was constant rebellion. And they didn't really tolerate Christianity. It's definitely not the kind of place I would want to take my family on summer vacation, but uh, maybe, you know, maybe he had different plans. But he did. Judson took his wife. He was 24 at the time. And as he's sailing on the boat over to Burma, his wife has a miscarriage. All right. This is getting real. Lands over there. His second child gets born, and 17 months later, he loses his son. He was imprisoned because they thought he was a British spy in the middle of this wartime. He would be uh, tortured. He would be starved. He would be forced to sleep hanging upside down. His feet were tied to a log, and he'd have to sleep hanging upside down. He eventually was released, which 
I think is biblical poetic justice because they needed him to translate a treaty to end the war. Where have I heard that one before, right? <clears throat> but 11 months later, his wife and his two-year-old daughter would die to smallpox. The psychological effects of losing three children, your wife, being tortured and starved were absolutely devastating. Self-doubt overtook his mind and, and the effects of the losses uh, made him question his calling. He was refusing food and would retreat from people and, and at, the, at the absolute like worst part of his life, he dug an empty grave and sat beside it, contemplating death. This missionary who was called to go and bring the gospel, even he had a low moment. Here's what he wrote in one of his letters. God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. And as if, and as if, as if it couldn't possibly get any worse, he received another letter, that his brother had died. But, unfortunately, but fortunately for him, uh, this was actually the turning point in his story. And, 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 as, and as, as, as hard as it is to understand, I think when you understand Judson's position, you would understand the joy that filled his heart because his brother did not know Jesus. And in the letter, he read the gospel clearly proclaimed, and he read the hope that one day his brother, who he loved so dearly, would be in eternity with him. And that was the turning point. That was, that was the, 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 the action that, remo- that, re- that took the scales off of his eyes and allowed him to see what God had done around him. You know, as you study his ministry, it took him six years to, to have one convert in his little Burman church. But, but as he starts to look at the landscape of, of, of the country around him, as he starts to not focus in on the negativity of his life and see what God is doing, this is what he found. And it was that hope of new life in Jesus which allowed him to ultimately lift his head. He wrote this, The spirit of inquiry which is spreading everywhere throughout the whole length and breadth of this land, we distributed nearly 10,000 Bibles, giving only to those who ask, and have requests for 6,000 more. God was stirring a revival, and he was using Judson to do it. And years later, he would encourage another missionary who lost a spouse in a letter that is so beautiful. He writes this, You are now drinking the bitter cup whose dregs I am acquainted with. And though for some time you've been aware of its approach, I venture to say it's far bitterer than you expected. I can assure you that months and months of heart-wrenching anguish are before you, yet take the bitter cup with both hands Sit down to drink, and you will learn a secret, that there is sweetness at the bottom. At, his, at the time of his death, Judson left behind a translated Bible in Burman, 100 churches, and 8,000 believers. Judson's faith indeed began, ended, and was strengthened by the meshes of the gospel. And, I dare to say, he had some beautiful feet, didn't he? See, living for Christ, standing for the gospel, it's going to come at a cost. And when I say it's going to cost you money, comfort, popularity, all of those things are illustrated in his story. But all of those things were worth it for him as he knew who he was representing in that field. He knew ultimately all of the trials, all of the tribulation, all of the, that negativity that surrounded him was ultimately for a purpose. And that purpose was to be persecuted just as Christ was persecuted. Because it's in our trials it's in our suffering. It's in, it's in those low points of our ministry that we have fellowship with Jesus. So when I say that your, your faith begins and ends with the gospel, 
I mean just that. We are entrusted with a message to go, to bring life to a world that's dying around us. Have you heard the message of this gospel? Do you know what it is? Do you know how to share it clearly? Are your marching orders clear? The gospel is good news, and good news by nature must be shared. We partner with a ministry called Dare to Share, which teaches teenagers how to share the gospel with people around them. And they've created a gospel acrostic, which uh, the leader Greg Steer calls the explicit gospel. And this morning, if you don't know the gospel, you're going to hear it. If you've never heard the good news of Jesus, I'm about to share it. And for those of you that are in the room, I want to give you a tool. You can download it. There's a Life in Six Words app. You can even have it on your phone. But I want you to have this tool so that if you don't even know where to start, you can start here. Because these are our marching orders. This is the news that we are called to deliver. And we're going to go through... uh, All six letters of this acrostic, G-O-S-P-E-L, God our sins, paying everyone life. And these six words, we're going to walk through the story of reality, the story of the way that the world actually is, the story of how, (laughs) that we're all living in, right? And we're going to make it clear. We're going to make it understandable so that you'll never forget this message for when you're sharing it with your friends, your family, or your coworkers tomorrow at work. All right, let's start with G. G, God created us to be with him. This happens in Genesis 1 and 2. All right? The first, ber- the, the first verse in the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, let there be light, and bang, there it is, right? Comes shooting out of his mouth. He speaks light. He speaks the earth. He speaks the stars. He speaks the plants, the animals, everything into existence. Just with one word. I don't understand how it happens, but that's what happened. He's God. He can do what he wants, Right? And so what do you think a God who who can speak things into creation does on day six, right? Every single day he's creating something new. Every single day he's creating something new. But on the sixth day, God does something different. God doesn't just, did did God say, um, let there be man made in my image, and then we popped out of the, popped up? No, he didn't. On the sixth day, he created human beings in his image. But he didn't speak us into existence. I want you to see this. On the sixth day, Unlike everything else that God had created, uh, God goes into this garden. He goes into this world that he created. He actually gets down into the dirt and forms a man, kind of like your kids would form something with Play-Doh or or they would form a, 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 a sandcastle on the beach, right? He forms man in this image and he looks down and, and, and he gets his hands dirty to make this one thing, the only thing that he didn't speak into existence, Right? And as he looks down at what he created, he notices that it's missing something. It's not alive. And so what does God do? Does he speak life into humanity? No. God breathes life into man. I'm I'm imagining mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for the first time with this man made out of dirt. And when God breathes that life into this form in the dirt, Adam opens his eyes, the first man ever created, opens his eyes, and the first thing that he sees is God looking directly at him. That is the relationship that every single one of us is called to have. That is the way that reality was supposed to be. That is the creation. That is the value that God instilled in every single one of us. And it gets even better. Because when God created the first woman, when God created Eve, he didn't just get his hands dirty. As as Greg Steer says, he got his hands bloody. He performs an open-heart surgery on Adam, puts him to sleep, uh, pulls out a rib, and forms Eve with that rib from Adam. So if you're sitting in here today, and you don't feel loved by anybody, 
You don't feel cared for. You don't feel like you matter to the world around you. I want you to understand this. You have dignity and purpose because God gave it to you. From day one, he said, we are completely different from everything else in this world. We are made in his image. Every single person in this world made in God's image. And that's, you, you can't change that. You can't change that. It started that way. God created us to be with him. And out of the dirt, I don't know if you can even comprehend intrinsic value, but that's what it is. When, when, when God says, I'm going to treat you guys completely separate from everything else, that's how valuable we are to God. We're not a random mix of chemicals evolving over time. And in fact, I wouldn't want to be because then I'd be GMO. <laughs> and for people who want to pay triple for their groceries, that's a really big deal. All right, all right. God intended for us to have a perfect relationship with him. And unfortunately, the story is going to take a negative turn. Because here's the O in the gospel. O, our sins separate us from God in Genesis chapter 3. There was only one rule in the garden. Could you imagine, I, I, there's some kids in here, could you imagine life with one rule? It'd be so awesome. I don't have to take out the trash. I don't have to remember what day it is. I don't have to. No, one rule. The rule is not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had free reign to do whatever they wanted in the entire Garden of Eden that God had created for them to do. <clears throat> but what happened? They ended up breaking that rule. And so, just like if I added a drop of poison to this water bottle, would you drink it? You know, if I just, just one drop, I mean, you know, it's 16.9 fluid ounces. You know, what's one, what's one drop? It's probably a tenth of a tenth of a millionth of a percent. That, that bottle? Would you drink it? No, because one drop of poison would ruin that entire bottle of water. Just like one sin ruined the entire, uh, the entire perfect, perfectness of our relationship with God forever. Humanity would be forever scarred. <clears throat> with that one action, with that one sin, our perfect relationship with God would be severed, would be broken, and it would be need to be rectified. We went from walking with God, openness, in the garden, hand in hand, face to face, side by side, uh, to seeing every sin in the human heart conceivably birthed, right? You, you, can see, you can see lust, greed, pride, selfishness. Everything that's wrong with the society can all be traced back to that one selfish act in the garden. When they sinned, they ruined it for the entirety of humanity. And remember, this is the Garden of Eden, which is supposed to represent God's presence with us. And so when we sinned, we had to be separated from God's presence because God is holy. He's set apart. He's perfect. He can't remain with sin. And so as a result of that sin, he had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden, which symbolically represents us being removed from God's presence as imperfect people. And if you think, if you think by chance that that's not fair, I just want to ask you a question. Parent to parent, person who's been around kids, uh, uh, whoever it is, you go hang out with a two-year-old. As a matter of fact, if you want to be, if you want to do something absolutely cruel, I want you to take uh, uh, take a donut from the sh from the, the the host team back there. Bring one donut into that toddler room over there, and give it to one kid and see what happens. <laughs> Y'all know what's going to happen, right? Don't do, uh, I got my toddler teachers in here? Don't do that. Why? Why? Because you don't have to teach a kid how to have a temper tantrum. You don't have to teach a kid how to kick and scream until they get what they want, right? 
We are sinners by nature and by choice. We have to teach our kids how to be good. We have to teach our kids how to obey. We have to teach our kids to bring, to bring uh, uh, clarity to the chaos around us, don't we? We are all sinners by nature and choice, but yet God still loves us. The simple fact, God's perfect and we are not. And, and with that one choice that separated that relationship forever, God did not forsake us. But unfortunately, we can't get to the good news of the story yet. Because the S in the gospel is that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. You'll see this uh, Genesis chapter 4 through Malachi, right? Uh, uh, through all the way to the end of the Old Testament. We see in the entire Old Testament, we see people trying to earn their way back to God, right? We see people uh, uh, who try to remove their sin through, through three things. And I love the way Greg steers so good when he, re- when he says this. Three things with blood, sweat, and tears, Okay? You see them using the blood of millions of animal sacrifices, right? Over, over thousands and thousands of years, generations of generations, trying to use animals uh, to, uh, for their blood to be the atonement for our sins. For, for, for a perfect sacrifice animal that God said, this is how we're going to do it, uh, to cover the sins of the nation. You see the sweat of, of people in the Old Testament trying to fulfill all 613 uh, Old Testament laws in order to, be, to, to attempt to be perfect as God is perfect, in order to attempt to achieve this, uh, this understanding of how God wants us to live and be and, and move and act. You see the tears of prophets like Jeremiah who are going out there just like Judson did to preach the message, to bring people back into a relationship with God, but to be brought to tears when people eventually would reject the message. Eventually, God grew tired of people trying and failing. So how did God respond? How did the God that formed us out of the dust of the earth, how did he respond to the failures of humanity? Did he throw his hands up and say, uh, you know, you made this mess, now you get yourselves out of it? No, he didn't. He didn't do that. He said, you made this mess, and I love you enough to make a way out for you when you can't do it yourself. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. P, paying the price of sin, Jesus died and rose again. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the hope that we have in our God because God wanted to be restored in relationship with us. That same face-to-face relationship that he had with Adam in the garden, he wants to have with us today. That was the intention from day one. And 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to the earth on a rescue mission to seek and save and to bring life to a world that was dying around him, to make a way for imperfect people to be restored in relationship with a perfect God. So how do you bring perfection to someone who's lost it? How can you make somebody perfect? The only way, the only way to do it is for perfection to be given to them by a perfect sacrifice. That is why we need a savior. That is why it was essential that Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, came to this earth to live a perfect life that none of us could live and to die the death for our sins once and for all that we all deserved. Because on that cross, it wasn't our blood, sweat, and tears that was shed, was it? It was Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears that was poured out freely for you, for me, and for everybody in this city so that we might have that relationship back. There was a future that Jesus saw, and we were not a part of it. There was a reality that, that Jesus saw unfolding before him, and he did not like how, the way that that story ended. 
So he willingly left his place in the kingdom, left the right hand of God, left the, the, the infiniteness of, of living in heaven and was bound to a human body. Died a death that was the cruelest death that we could possibly imagine at the time and took the wrath of God on his body and his spirit for every single sin, past, present, and future that humanity would commit. Every wrong choice, everything throughout the course of history put on him at that moment. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. And for those of you in this room today that think you need to clean yourself up before you can come to God, for those of you in this room today that think you don't know what I did yesterday, today, the day before, whatever, it doesn't matter. Because when Jesus says it's done, it's done. You're free in his blood. You don't have to condemn yourself. You're not under the yoke of your sin any longer when you place your faith and trust in him alone. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Because <clears throat> so if you don't know what's next, if you don't know what's in the life to come, it's important that you figure out what eternity is, right? Because eternity is forever and this life is temporary, right? We all, we all have an expiration date and uh, uh, I, I think it's appropriate to figure out what's going to be in store for us in eternity. So, since you can't get to heaven, uh, since you can't get to heaven by trying to be good, uh, since you need to trust in him alone, since we were studying this passage in Romans, look how Paul emphasizes belief three times. How then can they call on him that they have not believed? How can they believe without hearing? Uh, Lord, who has believed this message? Belief is so much more than just knowing the facts. I've got a stool over here. It's not good enough for me to look at the stool and to say, yeah, that's a stool. Looks like a pretty nice, comfortable spot to sit, right? It's not enough for me to believe it. You've got to put your whole weight on it. If I don't believe that I can actually sit down on this stool and it will hold me up, what, what use is it, right? What use is it to just know the message of the gospel? What use is it to just simply know facts about who God is? You've actually got to put it into play. You've actually got to trust it with your full weight. You've actually got to say, I might not have all the answers. I might not even remember half of what the guy said on Sunday morning, but I know this. I know that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I'm secured because in 1 John 5, 13, he writes that these things are written so that you would know you would know without a shadow of a doubt that when you put your whole weight on Jesus Christ, when you decide to go all in and trust him with your eternal salvation, he's got you. He's never going to let you go. So if you haven't done that today, if you haven't put your whole trust, your whole weight on the message of the gospel and trusted Jesus to save you, let today be the day of your salvation. Because L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Acts the revelation. Amen. Eternal life is not just something that you get when you die. Eternal life, it's something that we, that we get from the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, right? Because Jesus says, I come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to experience that life today. He wants you to walk out of these doors today experiencing the wholeness of knowing that you're walking day in and day out with the Father. So much so that he gives you a down payment he gives you a guarantee. He gives you the helper in the form of the Holy Spirit to walk with you, to enable you, to equip you to live out this mission in your life, to know that you're not alone, to know that when you're, when you're sitting next to the grave contemplating death that God's got by your side, to know that when you're experiencing trials of many, uh, of many forms and many different sizes, that, that it's there to help refine you and to bring you closer to Jesus. 
At the end of Revelation, the story ends like this. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. You might as well have ended Revolution with, and they'll all live happily ever after. Because that's the way that the story is supposed to be, and that's the way that God's going to make it when he ends it once and for all. It's my job to tell you about this message of the gospel. It's our job as Kenosha City Church to have our faith begin with the gospel and have our faith ultimately end with the gospel as we take this message to the world, as we take the hope of Jesus to people who don't have it, and then one day when we actually see God face to face as he intended, we will see the full message of the gospel come in a complete cycle. So with every head's bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to pray. If you've never placed your faith, your hope, your trust, your full weight in Jesus, I want to invite you today just to receive him, just to see how much God loves you, to put your faith in him. So if you'd slip up your hand just as a way of communicating, saying, you know what, I've tried other things, I've tried popularity, I've tried all these other things, and none of it's worth it. Thank you. Thank you. It's not just raising your hand that's going to save you. You're just communicating to me so that I can pray for you. Is there anybody else that would like to receive Jesus? Awesome. Father, I pray for those who are putting their faith, their hope, and their trust in you for the first time this morning. I pray for those uh, who have never heard this message of the gospel before, whether it's here or online, that, that they would reach out to somebody that they have a relationship with, that they would connect with this ministry of this church, that they would connect with you ultimately and find their hope, find their value, find their meaning in you. God, I pray that, that you wouldn't let these people just live condemned of all the wrong that's happened in their life, but you would allow them to see reality as it ought to be, that they would see the beauty of the creation that you've, that you've placed us in, that they would see the beauty of their Father in heaven and that they would trust you that they would trust you with their eternal security. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.